Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Sabrina Williams to the show. With a background in architecture, law, and urban planning, Sabrina has focused on social justice issues in urban communities. For 19 years, she directed Home and Community Inc., the nonprofit she founded. There, she developed SEED to address food security in low income populations and organized SEED workshops in Cuba and South Los Angeles. She is proud to carry on the homesteading and victory garden traditions of her grandmother and has been permitted to sell produce as a Los Angeles County certified producer. Sabrina, how are you doing today? I'm great, Raj. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on, Sabrina. Sabrina, where in the world are you? I am in Los Angeles, California. And how's the weather in Los Angeles today? It's hot today, actually. It's, it's definitely summer. <laughs> so I'm in Dallas, and I think if I read correctly this morning, we are going to crest at about 103 this weekend. Oh, my goodness. We're not that hot yet, but, I mean, it's, it's definitely getting uncomfortable. Hopefully make it through. Yes. So, Sabrina, I'd like to open my show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Well, I, I think, you know, given this times that we're in, um, there are so many interesting and different things that are happening for a lot of us. But for me, um, music uh, is really carrying me through. And I've, I've actually started to uh, get back into that a little bit. I've been a lifelong singer. And I actually um, am now in a ska band where I share lead vocal duties with my 16-year-old. So that has been really something to um, pass the time and, and just really, uh, you know, a nice distraction. I love that idea. And excuse my ignorance, what is a ska band? So ska is a, a type of music that, I mean, it's gone through different waves, but it, it came out of England, Jamaica, and um, uh, a lot of people um, that uh, did it were like young people, that, and it had a lot of diversity to it. So um there are a lot of um, bands like The Selector, The Specials, different things, um, English Beat, people have heard of before. And uh, so it's just a nice, happy, um, upbeat music. Well, I'll be sure to research it and dig deeper into that. Yes. I like the idea of happy, upbeat music. So, mm -hmm. And you mentioned London and Jamaica. So I grew up in London and almost all of my friends were from the West Indies somewhere. Jamaica, oh, great. I grew up around reggae music quite a bit, um, almost to the disdain of my parents who are Indi Indian. And my dad would ask me all the time, why do you keep listening to reggae music? And I just would tell him, look, there's something in there. I really that's right. That's right. So Feels good. That's what I grew up with. Nice. I appreciate you sharing that. So, Sabrina, can you share a little bit about Seedbox Systems? 
Absolutely. So I am, am the CEO and co-founder of Seed. And what we have is a, a farm in a box, essentially. It's a, it's a countertop bamboo planter um, that's made up of solar-powered automatic irrigation um, systems. And it connects to moisture sensors, which allow you to monitor and manage your plants uh, from anywhere in the world. So you're able to grow indoors and out using these moisture sensors because um, they're all connected to the main system via Bluetooth. Um, and, and outdoors, that means raised beds, small plots, and you program the system based upon the plants you're actually growing. So it's specific to your environment, not just you know using historical weather data or uh, water that's in a reservoir, for instance. Um, and one of the things we learned is that empirically as growers ourselves, but also through market research, is that people generally fail at growing because they're trying to grow a plant like, say, a basil in Arizona using what might be guidance for New York. Um, and so we uh, insert a certain specificity. Um, so we have this main product, this kit for retail consumers, but we formed as a benefit corporation because we, we we're most proud of our mandate to provide a system uh, to a farmer in a low-income or developing community with each one that's sold at the retail level. And uh, this one-for-one you know, -one model helps us directly address food insecurity and, and really work towards limiting agriculture's impact on climate change. Can you walk me through a system where, you know, I get the box and pairing to my phone and all the steps I need to go through? Yeah, definitely. So one would take it out of the box and right away, uh, you, it's, it's not a plug-in system. The ultimate um, system is not uh, to be plugged in. It's operated through um, rechargeable battery. So you'd open this up and you'd have this planter box. You'd put dirt in the section where you plant, you know, up to three uh, plants. This is the, the indoor version of this. And within that indoor version, there's an actual sensor, moisture sensor, that you put into the dirt. That kit has in it a microcontroller. And that microcontroller has the Bluetooth um, capacity to connect with your moisture sensor. So in your smart device, your phone, your computer, whatever, you go into the app and you'd be able to program, again, using basil, um, and you live in Arizona, you know that for your region, basil needs this amount of water, and I'm only going to water on this standard. When it gets dry, this is when I'm going to tell the pump to start watering the plant. Um, and so you can modify that as a user using the smart device. You'll be able to look at that and say, oh, it needs more water. I feel like it, you know, we're having a particularly hot um, summer here, but basil only needs 70% you know, whatever the number is, it only needs that percent. And it will always provide that amount of water to your plant. Um, the great thing is these moisture sensors, not only are they for your countertop uh, system, your kit, you'll be able to put those outside in your uh, raised bed or your, your right into the dirt um, to allow you to water outside as well. So you, you have this capacity to monitor and manage your plants both inside and out, um, whether you're getting just the, uh, the uh, retail system, say from you know, a big box store or specialty online, something like that. 
So that's really interesting. And I'm going to pivot into my next question. Yeah. I think it ties into, you know, the crux of our conversation is the why behind what mm-hmm. you do. So background in architecture, law, urban planning. Yes. Yeah. Become the CEO of Seedbox. I know. Yeah. I get, you can imagine I get this question all the time. And, um, you know, I, I've always moved to advance justice and fairness in low-income communities. And so starting out as an architect, I was uh, helping low-income people design housing. Um, and what I learned doing that was that people were actually losing their housing because they didn't have legal representation. So design only gets you so far. Um, so I thought, oh my goodness, I'm really concerned about this. Let me go do something about it. And I had a mentor who said, you should go to law school. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. So I went to law school and that next step was to help people actually save their housing. And I, I uh, was in Washington, D.C. doing that and um, really had a lot of success. I started working with people in 40 states. And then I started my own nonprofit in 2000 so that I could advance that effort and realized, well, wow, it's one thing to do law, but it's another thing to plan the urban landscape to help people have a say in how they were housed. So then I went on to, to get another degree, which is in urban planning. And, and urban planning actually is, I think, you know, it, it kind of encapsulates architecture and law. Um, so it, it's not such a stretch. But all of this is really about this common denominator of, of justice and sovereignty, people having a say. And everywhere I went, food was such a big deal. People um, either had, they didn't have enough of it or they wanted to grow it and, and they weren't allowed to because they didn't own the land or, you know, they didn't have rights, certain rights related to access. And I thought, this is, this is crazy. You know, food is so... Um, obviously integral to all of us. Uh, and, and I realized, well, housing, okay. I'm, I'm glad that I'm, I had an opportunity to help people maintain and, and keep and, and develop their housing. But food was really becoming, you know, quite a big issue in a lot of the work I was doing. Um, and so I began working towards um, urban farming and helping people access plots and, uh, change policy regarding, um, you know, what kinds of stores were in their communities and rights to vouchers um, and programs to feed children. So it, it, it was a very natural progression into, um, into food and food justice. Um, and really just understanding, I mean, that we have a power to change. And, and I have this eternal optimism about people being able to, to take steps on their own behalf. So um, we just started introducing seed, this idea of, well, maybe you will get better production um, in your own uh, homes if you have this automatic irrigation and allowing people to, to take part in the Internet of Things, IoT. And, and it was great. It was like this light bulbs were going off in all these communities, being able to to enter technology or to bring technology into their, their gardens and their lives, which, which of course opens up so many other areas too outside of the garden. So 
that that's really been the passion and the impetus um, for what drives me the why. So that's really interesting. And I've got so many questions from what you just shared. Before I do, though, I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Ron Finley. Yes, absolutely. I know Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched his TED Talk. I don't remember when it was, but uh, what an inspirational yes. story. You know, I live in a suburb north of Dallas, and I look at the sidewalks, and I look at the front lawns that we have, and yes. spoken to my wife so many times about other usage. I don't know if you've read a book called Sapiens, um, came out a few years ago. It's a great book. No. But I, but I was surprised to find out that, and apparently, I don't know if it's true or not, I haven't verified it, but the reason that we have lawns or the front lawns of our house is to convey to our neighbors, I guess it would be, that not only do I have enough resources to take care of myself, mm. but I can afford to also just, you know, water grass. And right, things. right. And, and you know, uh, when I saw Ron's story, and I've done some research in the past regarding food deserts, and we have some issues in this area too regarding food insecurity, mm-hmm. I just think to myself that, I don't know what LA looks like, but you know, when we talk about Dallas, that there's so many different areas in Dallas that could be converted to farms or yes, urban absolutely. farming. Um, you know, recently my wife and I had this conversation about autonomous vehicles and what that's going to look like going forward, and hopefully the opportunity to convert some of these parking garages into vertical farms. But um, I'm super optimistic about what we can do to address some of these food insecurity issues going forward. Yes. And, you know, you mentioned justice and fairness and urban planning, and I don't mean to take the conversation into a somber mood, but some of the challenges that are going on right now, you know, an article regarding mass evictions that are coming. Yes. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess my question is, what kind of advice could you share with individuals to, you know, perhaps become more aware of these issues? And what can we do as a community to perhaps help or do our to our part to, you know, address some of these issues? Yeah, I mean, one of the things, I mean, just thinking back to, to when I was learning about this and, and becoming so involved was actually talking to people. I mean, we, we see a lot of things in the news. We, we, we know so much is going on. And, and actually learning people's stories and talking to them. And so once you do that, you have to get, you have to understand actual needs. Because it's one, you don't want to take a paternalistic approach to things either. Um, and so one of the things I have always done, um, what I started out doing was I was a community organizer. So I was, I was talking to people, trying to find out what their needs were. Once you discover need, now, if you have enough people with those needs, you, you really can start a movement, obviously. And, and movements can start with, you know, a handful of people, as we know. Um, but especially right now, you have the ear of so many people that are... Um, you know, decision makers, the, the traditional decision makers, because clearly more of us need to be part of that process. But you have now movement in the ear of these folks and being able to go in person. And, and you know, you'll see especially people joining in city, um, city council uh, uh, proceedings, you know, via Zoom or, or whatever the mechanism is nowadays that people are actually feeling very uh, strongly and they're asserting their rights um, in those kind of arenas. And so I think that 
um, learning as much as you can, talking to people directly, listening, just, you know, the key in this is listening, not inserting your own necessarily experience into things, but finding out needs and then moving forward with that, finding out how you can, uh, you know, initiate change, especially at the local level. Um, and, I, and I do know, like, just having worked in housing, that's an area that, wow, if you get enough people involved and um, voices out there, um, you can actually get things changed. You can get things changed, um, no doubt about it. I know it seems daunting to folks, but it just takes, it's a numbers game. That's, that's what it is. I agree with you. It is a numbers game. I appreciate you sharing the idea of, you know, not being paternalistic. I do feel like there is a system in place that needs to be broken. Yes. And um, re-education on both sides of the aisle, if you will, mm-hmm. regarding some of these challenges. I'm also concerned that if they're not addressed sooner than later, we're going to have, as a whole, a society, a bigger problem on our hands than we think. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm just talking about, even from a health perspective, I yeah. mean, you know, some of the, again, going back to the food desert, some of the, uh, the foods that are available in some of the areas in town are just not healthy and are causing all kinds of secondary issues when it yes. comes to health which are, you know, ultimately putting a burden on our health system, which we all end up paying eventually. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the, the like I said, over in me telling my history of, of getting to this point, uh, why food became such a, a, a centerpiece was because, you know, you'd see the, the health, um, the detriment to health of having no supermarket. I mean, you will have in a very affluent area, say, 14 supermarkets and just three miles away in a lower income um, community, one supermarket. And, you know, that's that's just outrageous. And so when we started um, helping people do homesteading uh, at their, their own homes, their sites, key for us was not just growing the food for oneself or one's family, because when you start growing, you start growing so much. You can't even help yourself, I think, on some level, because it's actually, you know, as you know, fun to grow things and see them grow. But especially food. Food, if you have a, especially a good system in place, you're going to be so productive. And so not just for yourself, but for your neighbors, you start sharing that. And then beyond that, you know, in that community, now you're having options for, well, maybe I can take this to the farmer's market and sell. So we were actually getting people certified to sell at the local local farmer's market. And and so it has all these options, these opportunities for, um, for growth in a community. When you are starting to produce your own food, you're getting a nutritional benefit, you're getting a community benefit, you're getting maybe an economic benefit. Um, and, and you're taking some of the burden off of, of that, um, that need, um, you still, you want the supermarkets, they, they should be in those communities, but at least you're, you're having this option, um, come to the forefront as well. You know, you're absolutely right. I've grown some things in the past myself and tomato plants, the yield you get is just ridiculous. (laughs) You're begging people to take it. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, 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 
totally understand what you're saying there. You mentioned a certification program. Can you explain or share how that works? Yeah, through the Los Angeles County, um, I think it's the Office of Weights and Measures. I'm not sure, but um, it's a it's a program whereby um, private citizens, you don't have to be a, a large farm, um, they will come to your home and certify that you're growing certain types of produce and that you're growing it in a certain way. Um, this is separate from being organic. That's a, that's a different process altogether. But you are able to uh, work with the inspector to say, okay, I'm growing, um, you know, oranges, or I'm doing, I, I expect to grow this much of this type of produce. And they will certify your site. And with that certification, it's, a, it's uh, annually uh, renewal, renewable. You are able to go uh, to a farmer's market um, in Los Angeles and sell um, your your produce. Um, and they have different certifications for, say, if you're making jams or, you know, uh, anything that you're cooking. But uh, we were primarily working with people that were just uh, growing uh, too much uh, is a good thing, too much food, and um, being able to take it so they could make a little money, um, you know, from from the process as well. So it was, it was a wonderful. it's a great program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So rewinding a little bit, yeah. How did you come up with the idea for this seed? It's very interesting. So I am I consider myself a little bit of a luddite. I've always been a the last person to, to jump on any technology. And my daughter and I went to a, a maker space and I saw this, uh, this uh, little system that they had, which was using an Arduino microprocessor, microcontroller, I think. And, and I thought, Oh, this is so cool. It, it can do all these things. Please tell me all the, universal things it can do. And one of the things was um, a little watering system. And I thought, that's so cool. Let me try this um, at our site in South Los Angeles. And so they started putting together this little kit with just this teeny micro uh, sensor, moisture sensor. And it was amazing. I thought, I am, you know, almost 50 years old at the time. I'm learning this thing and I love it. And it has such a potential for helping growers not waste water. So that's a, that's an economic benefit. It's helping them uh, increase their yield because now the, the plants are getting the exact amount of water that they need for their environment. Um, and so I started looking for grants because um, I was running a nonprofit at the time. And uh, one of the grants that was available was to take the system through the U.S. State Department to Cuba. So we were uh, provided some funding to go into Santiago de Cuba, which is in the southern part of the island, and actually um, provide workshops on installation of this very simple um, watering system because they are obviously... Uh, there's a lot of food insecurity there, but their farming system is is quite robust, um, and they are actually having to use uh, uh, organic and permaculture um, processes in their work there. And so it was a perfect fit because we were able to help people increase their yields, 
um, almost threefold in some areas and realized like, wow, if we can do this in Cuba and in South Los Angeles, then this might be something that can go um, even wider globally because um, there are like 500 million smallhold farmers in the world. And I think the number is something like 70% of the food that's produced um, is, is in, at these small farms. But a lot of them are inefficient. They're not as productive as they could be. And so we started dreaming huge that way. And, and that, that's how seed took off in the last year and a half. So how was the reception when you went to Cuba? It was great. And I mean, I, I had... Uh, been there before and so I had people that I knew and I was able to help them um, gain some some workshop experience so that they could carry on the work after we were gone and I mean it, it's Cuba's a really lovely place the, the people are just I mean I, I've never had a bad experience there and um, farming is is really uh, taken seriously and innovative. You know, they're innovative anyway because they they have limited resources. But in terms of farming, I mean, I learned things about regenerative agriculture that I did not know and how you do companion planting. And, you know, in addition to having now this watering system that could help people, um, you know, find an economy there with, with making sure that there's no water waste, the, just the other systems in place, including permaculture systems, it, I felt like I was gaining more <laughs> than, um, you know, the, the folks that I was supposedly assisting and helping there. But reception was uh, outstanding. And, and we hope to get back and, and complete our work there, you know, at some point. Very nice. So speaking of gaining more, mm -hmm. what have you learned or what have been your surprise moments on your journey so far? I think it, it, what's interesting to me is that how much people actually want to grow things. Um, I mean, I think we all need to be reminded, and we are getting a chance now with these unusual times, that uh, things are all connected. We have this, this mind-body connection and something about growing things it's really lovely and meditative and self-affirming and, and getting uh people on board with that but even beyond getting on board once they're there it's been amazing to learn how much they just want people want more information how do you how do i grow this um and i and i really do think it's because it's an opportunity to to have your mental health supported. Um, people haven't done it in, up until you know, now in these numbers, I think, um, because they were scared that it was some kind of difficult process. But now we have this opportunity and people are seeing, oh, yeah, this is great. Look what I'm gaining from being in a garden. Or even if it's not a, a whole garden outside, you're growing something in your house and, and it feels good. And um, that's been really, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising to me, but it, but it has been. And, and I really want to support people in that, that effort. I'm finding myself wanting to, to do that. Um, and I think in conjunction with that, 
they want to grow things, but they also want to be involved in technology. And so that's really worked for us to have people oriented towards the, the growing and the internet of things. And, and, um, and so it's been, a, it's been a very nice learning process for me. <laughs> it sounds lovely. And I will second that. I think it's very therapeutic to have your hands in soil. I think there's a, there's a reminder somewhere deep down inside of us that that's where we all come from. Yes. I feel like there's that realization once you're in there that, you know, your partners in this life together. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's next for Seedbox? What does the future hold? Seedbox five years from now, how does it look? Ah, yes. Well, I think, you know, one of the big uh, bits for us is during this time, we've, we've pivoted a little bit to providing these starter kits, we call them. So we're, we're really looking forward to working with institutions and, and kids primarily because once you get a kid growing, it just takes off from that. And they, they're just wonderful to be around and, and, and have involved in this process. So working more from the institutional level um, and taking that kind of simplicity to a global farmer network and making sure, um, I said this so many times, we have 9 billion people to feed by 2050. How are we going to do that? So the next five years for us is the key is getting those systems set up in places outside of the United States where we can make sure our one-for-one mandate is um, uh, taking place and that we're actually serving, um, you know, farmers uh, in need. I love that vision. Are you familiar with the book, The Wizard and the Prophet? Yes, I am, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, I read it. Mm-hmm. I read it recently, and I'm, I'm conflicted. How so? So a gentleman recommended to me, a previous guest, uh, Walter McLeod, re- recommended it to me, and I read it. I'm conflicted on the different ends. You know, um, both Vote and Borlaug were geniuses in their mm-hmm, own way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because of Borlaug that we have this ability to feed the world right, right. from a, you know, the wheat and the rice, yes. et cetera. A lot of work he did is in Asia, India, China, Pakistan. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, and I told Walter this in all candidness, on one hand, I feel like what he did was miraculous, enabling the population to grow and have food. Yes. And from a selfish perspective, me being a, Indian being, you know, yes. removed from India, but my, my, my generation stemmed from there. So allowed my forefathers to, you know, continue living. Right. On the, on the other hand, as I look at some of these population challenges that those countries are having. Yeah. And that's my conflict, honestly, is that, you know, I, I, I don't know where I sit on that spectrum between the prophet and the wizard. And I'm no doubt about it. What Borlaug did was phenomenal. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I highly recommend the read. Um, but, you know, regarding carrying capacity and the Malthusianism, I mean, I just, I just think that, that, and that's my confliction. Well, I think, you know, even on a very basic level, thinking about, um, I, I mean, we talk about how do we feed this many people, but also use technology to do it. And I don't want people to come away from something like that thinking, well, Okay, yes, let's look at 
something like wheat <laughs> and um, and and how, you know, nowadays we're talking about GMOs and organics and and, right. you know, it's um, I think we've done a lot of damage to the world. We um, humans uh, in trying and talking about feeding so many people have taken away the, the very natural way of feeding all those people. Um, you know, we've, we've definitely damaged the, the environment um, uh, in a lot of places by not, again, having companion planting or looking at the ways that um, we sequester carbon. And, um, you know, I, so I, I like that. I mean, technology, the technology of being, uh, I guess, a wizard, <laughs> um, I think is really important. Like this is something that can actually help us uh, bring uh, more, I think, um, cost savings to people. So technology is definitely going to allow us to do that. But it can be hand in hand with this this very natural way of doing things. When you talk about regenerative agriculture, it still needs to be uh, water has to be involved. So maybe that's where we're, you know, like let's see, we're using technology to to support natural um, options. Um, so, so yeah, I think in, in places that we will hopefully be going into Africa soon, this is going to be a, a, a big question. Um, you know, how, how are we working? How are we feeding two birds with one seed as it, as it were? So I, I those are really uh, conundrums for us to, well, those are big problems to solve, and I look forward to seeing you grow. My last question is, if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience. Yeah. Um, I think that I, a lot of times when I think about advice, I think about things that my grandmother used to share with me because she was the inspiration for me even being in growing um, things. I still use some of her old peppers to... Uh, to each season to grow. And um, <laughs> she used to say this, um, old keys, uh, old keys can't unlock new doors. And for me, I never thought I'd be taking on this entrepreneurial adventure in my 50s after 20 years of running a nonprofit. And, and so I think about that old keys unlocking new doors. I, I was feeling stuck. You're feeling stuck. Um, and, and you really want, there's something really important for you. You're moving into a new area. Um, you, you're going to have to change the keys, you know, and really think about what that looks like. Um, uh, being stuck is not an option. So that, that's, I think that advice has worked for me in the last couple of years, and I, and I would offer it to anyone. Well, Sabrina, I so appreciate that. Is there anything that I should have asked you or should have explored that I did not? No, I think... Um, uh, the, you know, my, my primary goal is to talk about how we have so many people that are um, hungry. And there are a lot of things going on in the world, and, and we can think about a lot of things at, at one time. And I think let's just not forget that you know, we are stewards here uh, of this earth, and uh, we need to be able to, to set ourselves up for success and and part of that is making sure that everybody has enough food to eat. So 
if, if there's nothing else that comes out of this, that's, that's something that is really important to me. Well, I really appreciate that. I just want to add that if someone is listening to this show and they reach out to me, raj.daniels at nexuspmg.com, yes. I will buy them a starter kit. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Well, I love that, Raj. Thank you so much. Of course, Sabrina. Thank you so much, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Absolutely. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And if you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And if you want to show your support, please share our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.